Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session, and instructions will follow at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. At this time, I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you, Stephanie, and I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Connect workshop, and today's workshop is, is focusing on when your loved one has CML, how caregivers, caregivers can help improve adherence. And this is the fourth part of a four-part series on going the distance thriving and surviving with chronic myelogenous leukemia, or CML. Now, today's program, which focuses on caregivers, is a collaborative effort between cancer care and many other cancer organizations. And really, because of the collaboration and your interest in the program, we have over 715 participants on the program today. And you come from all over the United States, and we also have international participants from Australia, Brazil, Canada, Malaysia, Venezuela, and the United Kingdom. And I really want to uh, really uh, uh, acknowledge all of you on the call today and really thank you for spending the next hour with us. You are clearly a group of information seekers. Now, today's program is made possible by grants from Bristol-Myers Squibb, Teva Oncology, and Ariad Pharmaceuticals, Inc. And I really want to thank them for their support of the program and also for their collaborative partnership in making this program possible. Now, we have wonderful speakers on our program today, and I want to begin by introducing our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Jason Gottlieb. And Dr. Gottlieb is Associate Professor of Medicine, Hematology, Director, Stanford MPN Center, Stanford University School of Medicine, Stanford Cancer Institute. And Dr. Gottlieb is going to address overview of CML, standard of care and new treatment approaches, and clinical trial updates. He's going to give you a medical update before we begin to talk about the issues for caregivers. I'm now going to turn this program over to Dr. Gottlieb. Thank you so much, Carolyn, and it's really a pleasure to join you and our co-speakers and the audience of patients with CML and caregivers and uh, healthcare professionals. And, you know, my task today is to uh, review uh, some basics about CML. And, you know, this is a very exciting time for CML in part um, because patients are doing so well on the drugs that are available. But, you know, in 2012, there were three new drugs that were approved for the disease in addition to imatinib, nilotinib, and disantinib that have been approved in the last several years. And those new three drugs are bocitinib, panatinib, and a drug named amacitaxine. And one of my uh, goals today is to go through the standard of care of CML, how we monitor patients, how we can optimize therapy, discuss briefly the issue of resistance on these drugs, which we refer to broadly as tyrosine kinase inhibitors, and also to briefly touch on the issues of pregnancy, uh, some patients and doctors have talked about, well, patients are doing so well, can we stop drugs? And then briefly touch on the issue of um, some of the new trials that are going on, and I'll focus on one in particular. So to talk about first the standard of care of newly diagnosed chronic phase CML, uh, I think that most of the audience members are aware that uh, the first drug that was approved for chronic phase CML, that is in the class of tyrosine kinase inhibitors, is imatinib, also known as Gleevec. 
And this was approved uh, based on a large trial uh, comparing what was previously then the standard of therapy, which was interferon plus a drug called cytarabine. And in that trial, imatinib was clearly the winner in terms of uh, benefit, um, and we measure that by hematologic responses, chromosome or cytogenetic responses, and uh, that drug was approved in 2001. And that drug has now emerged um, at that time as a very useful frontline therapy. And the question came up over time, well, can we do even better than imatinib with so-called second-generation tyrosine kinase inhibitors? And in fact, uh, there were two second-generation tyrosine kinase inhibitors that were developed, and they are tisadinib and nilotinib. And several years ago, there were two trials which looked at either tisadinib or nilotinib versus imatinib in upfront treatment of chronic phase CML patients. And those trials showed that tisadinib and nilotinib actually improved upon responses that had been seen with imatinib. And these were, again, head-to-head -head comparisons. And so based on these upfront trials, both tisadinib and nilotinib were approved for upfront, that is, first-line treatment of chronic face CML. And I should mention that when imatinib was approved, the upfront dose was 400 milligrams daily. And the dose of tisadinib for first-line therapy of chronic face CML is now 100 milligrams daily, and the dose from nilotinib is 300 milligrams twice a day. And so we now have three drugs that are very useful for upfront therapy of chronic phase CML. And of course, if someone is diagnosed with CML that is so-called advanced stages, that is accelerated or blast crisis CML, uh, imatinib um, uh, was used, but it really has been supplanted by tisadinib in more advanced phases, such as blast crisis CML. And nilotinib is approved for not only chronic phase disease, but accelerated phase disease. So we have these drugs that are very useful. Now, again, I mentioned that in the last year, there were three drugs that were approved. And one of them is bosutinib, and this is another tyrosine kinase inhibitor. It is not approved for frontline treatment of CML, but is, in fact, uh, approved for patients who are either intolerant or resistant uh, that is showing a suboptimal response to frontline treatment. Again, okay, so this is a drug that is useful for second-line therapy. Another drug named ponatinib was recently uh, underwent a trial in patients that also had resistance or intolerance to prior tyrosine kinase inhibitors or had a particular type of mutation that exhibits resistance to imatinib, disadinib, and nilotinib. And ponatinib showed very good benefit with regarding getting hematologic responses and good cytogenetic response rates, and therefore it was approved in 2012, again, as a second-line therapy for patients who are on prior drugs and show resistance or intolerance or have that T315I mutation that's resistant to those three drugs. And then finally, there is this drug named amacitaxine, also known as homoherringtonin, that also is approved and has a role in patients who have seen prior therapies or have that T315I resistance mutation. So again, we have many drugs that are useful for upfront therapy and for patients who relapse or are intolerant of those initial drugs that we use, imatinib, disadinib, and nilotinib. Now let me move on to monitoring. I think this is a very important aspect of treatment of CML, 
And there are three basic uh, uh, stages or levels of response that we want to see achieved in patients. That is a hematologic response. That is, we see normalization of the blood counts. And of course, we want to make sure that patients symptomatically feel better on these drugs. In addition to hematologic response, the next level of response is the so-called cytogenetic or chromosome response. And thirdly, we can even look at more in-depth whether we're getting a good response, and that is the so-called molecular response. And there are national comprehensive care national guidelines on when to see if these responses are obtained. So we want to make sure that a hematologic remission is obtained within three months. We want to make sure that cytogenetic responses are obtained at a certain time period. And for example, we want to see a complete chromosome remission by 12 months. And we want to see that a very good molecular remission is being obtained on the order of uh, uh, at least by 18 months. But we are now even looking at three months to see if a very good molecular remission is being obtained, because if it isn't, that may in some cases warrant a change in therapy. So CML patients and their caregivers working with doctors to make sure that hematologic response, cytogenetic response, and molecular response are looked at, evaluated, and achieved and at certain time points. And if they're not, that is something that needs to be looked at with regarding compliance, whether uh, the disease is in somehow some form of relapse or not responding optimally. This is the purview of your doctor to make sure these things are happening. Now, what about optimizing therapy? I think a key issue here is compliance. And in this regard, I'm going to have our co-speakers talk about this more in depth. Now, what happens with most of these drugs, as long as they're tolerated, patients, for the most part, have done very, very well over time. And one can imagine that if someone is feeling well and they're responding very well, some patients may feel, well, this is a pill, I'm doing well, I don't need to take this medication anymore. But in fact, compliance is the key to getting good responses. And so um, this is something that, again, is part of the series. We do know, again, that low compliance rates do affect outcomes and lead to worse outcomes. So I, I do want to stress that. Now, an issue that has come up is what is the best upfront therapy? And I think this is uh, a question that can't be answered simply. What I will say is that within the purview of the National Comprehensive Care Network guidelines, we still have that imatinib, disatinib, and elantinib are all reasonable frontline therapies. In my own practice and many other investigators, uh, we do feel that if one was judging first-line options based on effectiveness alone, that disatinib and elantinib are actually more efficacious than imatinib with regard to deeper and faster molecular and subgenetic responses and less progression from chronic phase to accelerated or blast crisis CML. We don't have very long-term data to say whether these drugs that is disatinib and elantinib versus imatinib actually improve survival. These are data that will emerge over time to see whether that is in fact the case. But in my own practice, again, I tended to use disatinib and elantinib over imatinib if the issue was based on efficacy alone. In the real world, however, there are other issues, and those issues have to do with baseline medical conditions, once versus twice daily dosing for disatinib and elantinib respectively, and issues of cost. And so we need to take into all uh, these factors when deciding on upfront therapy because they all are relevant. Now let me move on to the issue resistance. 
we know that the experience with these drugs, for the most part, has been very impressive. But there are selected individuals that, over time, can develop relapse on imatinib to satin or nilotinib. We also know that in the overwhelming majority of patients, at least 50%, in some cases 90% in advanced disease, the basis for resistance is the development of mutations within the target of these drugs or BCR-ABLE. And that is where, if one is starting on imatinib therapy, drugs such as desatin or nilotinib can overcome most of those resistant mutations and bring a fair number of patients back into a good hematologic or cytogenetic or molecular response. However, there are even patients on desatin or nilotinib that can over time develop resistance, although it is certainly less than with imatinib. And that is where, again, there are drugs such as ponatinib in particular that are now proved that can overcome some of these selected mutations that can uh, cause resistance in patients. Now let me move on to some of the last uh, issues which I'll spend maybe just a couple of minutes on, and that is the issue of can these drugs be stopped? And I have to say that there are some data that suggest that if someone is in a complete molecular remission, that if one stops, for example, imatinib, we know that over 18 months, about 60% of patients will actually show some evidence of their disease coming back. That is, they lose their complete molecular remission. If those patients are put back on, for example, imatinib, they can reachieve the molecular remission. But this was all done in the context of a clinical trial. And I have to say that, at least in my own practice and most doctors that I speak to, stopping therapy is not recommended. That is, we don't have necessarily compelling or convincing data that these drugs, if you stop them and you don't treat again, that you'll cure CML. So the current practice is to continue these drugs. And then the issue, let me move on to pregnancy. These tyrosine kinase inhibitors, uh, this is a question that comes up, can they be used in pregnancy? And the recommendation is currently that they not be used in pregnancy. And so the doctor and a woman of childbearing age who is considering pregnancy, this is a discussion that needs to take place. For those patients who are in a complete molecular remission and are thinking about or have become pregnant, then stopping therapy certainly should be considered and to see whether the patient can be brought through pregnancy with uh, no signs of disease or whether little evidence of disease comes back at which time after the child is born, these drugs would be restarted. There are also other options such as surrogacy and the use of interferon that could be considered in selected individuals. And then moving on to the last topic, and that is where are we with new trials? Well, you know, we're doing pretty well with the current armamentarium of drugs that we have, but of course we can always do better. One trial that I just briefly want to mention is the so-called EP trial. And this is a trial that is looking at upfront use of the, the newly approved drug ponatinib, which is only approved now for second-line therapy, trying to bring it up to frontline therapy. And this is a trial that's looking at ponatinib versus imatinib for frontline therapy of CML just like the trials that were done with desatinib or nilotinib versus imatinib. So this is a trial that will take several years to accrue at least, and we'll see whether this drug also will be added to frontline therapy. So I think I'm going to stop there, and um, I'll be glad to answer questions, of course, toward the latter part of the program. And thanks very much for listening. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Gottlieb. That was a wonderful presentation, very informative, and I, I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A. Uh, thank you so much. Um, our next speaker is... Uh, um, 
is Sandra Spolstra. Sandra is Assistant Professor at Michigan State University College of Nursing, and she's going to address adherence, what it is and why it is important, caring for your loved one with CML, and understanding the caregiver's impact on monitoring adherence. So it's my pleasure now to turn this program over to Dr. Spolstra. Uh, thank you, everyone, for being on the call today. I've been an oncology nurse for many years and now work on research projects to help patients with all types of cancer take their oral anti-cancer medications. I'm going to talk as if a patient is taking the medication, but of course a caregiver, a friend, a family member, or a clinician can use these same tips. So first I want to talk about what is medication adherence or medication compliance. So adherence is when someone takes the medication as directed by their doctor. For oral cancer medication to be effective, it needs to be taken in the right dose at the right time and the conditions to reach a therapeutic level. Adherence means not skipping doses, not taking extra doses, and not stopping the medication before you're told to do so by the oncologist. So why is adherence to cancer treatment so important? Taking the oral cancer medication as prescribed is important for the treatment of the cancer. Oral cancer medications may only have a positive effect on the cancer if it's taken as prescribed. And so what negative results can occur from not taking your medication as recommended? If the medication is not taken as prescribed, it may not manage the cancer. If a dose is missed, it may not reach the correct level of the medication and the treatment might not be as effective. If an extra dose is taken, then a person may experience unnecessary side effects. And sometimes, if the medicine is not taken as prescribed, there may be more doctor's appointments and someone may even have to be in the hospital. So what are some tips for taking the oral cancer medications? When you're first prescribed the medication, there is often a lot of new information. But following these key points is helpful. Find out the name of the medication and the exact number to take each day. Ask your doctor or nurse the following questions how often and what time of day the medications to be taken, why are you taking the medication, and how should it help? Are there rest periods when you should not take the medication? Is the medication to be taken with food and or water or on an empty stomach? Is the medication to be taken before, during, or after meals? Are there any food, drinks, or other medications or activities you should avoid? And then, what are the possible side effects and what should you do if they occur? And what should you do if you miss a dose? Should you take it a couple hours late? Should you take two the next day? You have to know the answer to these questions. And then also ask your pharmacist where and how you should store your medication and how often you need to refill your prescription and how to do that so you never run out of the pills. And there are several safety concerns. It's important not to split, 
crush, chew, or touch the medication more than is needed. So storing and disposing the medication is also very important. You need to store the medicine in a cool, dry place away from bright windows, heat, or sunlight, and store all the medication in a designated location unless they require refrigeration or are labeled store in a cool place. Do not mix these medications together in one container with other pills. And it's best to keep all these medication in the original bottles or packages or in a medication pill box separate from other pills. So the medication stored in the refrigerator should be separated from other items. And you can ask your pharmacist how to dispose of any expired medications or discontinued medications, because you should not be flushing them down the toilet or down a sink. It's not recommended. So next I'm going to discuss common reasons for difficulty with taking oral cancer medications. First. Many people simply forget to take their medicine. If forgetting is a problem, you can simply set some type of reminder. There are medication boxes with alarms, phone alarms, smartphone apps, and sometimes people use paper medication logs. Second, people should try to manage the side effects of the medication so they can continue taking the medication. If the side effects cannot be managed, you need to talk to the nurse or doctor about strategies to help manage these side effects. And third, when there's a reason to stop taking the medication, the side such as when the side effects are too severe or the cost is too high or some other reason, you need to talk to your nurse or doctor first. And the fourth reason is oral cancer medications can be very expensive and often there are no generic alternatives and insurance coverage varies for these types of pills. If cost is an issue, discuss this with your nurse or doctor, and there are some prescription assistance programs available. Fifth, patients may have negative feelings about every time they open their medication bottle or package because it is a reminder that they have cancer. This is sometimes called medication fatigue, and talking to your nurse or doctor about these feelings is very helpful. Sixth, if taking the medication, such as for other chronic health conditions like heart disease or diabetes, you need to talk with your doctor, your nurse, or your pharmacist about how you could possibly simplify your medication schedule and also to check to see if there's any um, drug interactions among all of these prescriptions. And finally, adjusting the dose or frequency of the oral cancer medication can result in serious consequences. So try not to adjust or skip doses and take it exactly as prescribed. So here are some common reasons why someone may have difficulty taking oral cancer medications. Many people have poor vision, and, though, and then pharmacies can provide patients with larger print medication labels, so it's easier to read the bottle. And many people have hearing changes, too. So you can have someone else at your doctor's appointment so you can fully understand what the prescription is. You can ask for written information about your medication. And it's often helpful to repeat what you heard about the prescription back to your nurse or doctor or to take a recorder or a phone to record the instructions so you can play it back to yourself when you get home. 
and other people have mobility challenges, making it difficult to handle the medication or sometimes even open the medication containers. But the pharmacy may be able to provide you with an easy-to-open medication cap or some sort of preloaded medication dispenser. And then other people have difficulty swallowing, and so you need to share this type of trouble with your nurse or doctor so they can help you if you have this problem. And finally, a big reason people have uh, difficulty taking pills is because of the complexity of the medication schedule. And what I mean by that is some pill taking is very simple, one pill, one time a day. Others are more difficult where you take a couple pills a day or you have um, two or three weeks where you take the medication and then a week or two where you have to stop, which is called cycling. So it's very important to take notes during your doctor's appointment or take someone with you so that you understand if you have any rest periods or exactly what the prescription is. Ask for the written instructions and then repeating back the instructions or recording them, again, is very helpful. So here are some potential adherence problems that might be encountered. First, taking too much of the medication, which is taking more medication or a larger dose than prescribed. And this can happen. Um, I've seen it very commonly happen with patients where today uh, on Wednesday they forgot to take their pill, so the next day they decide to take two. But you need to know ahead of time if with the type of medication you're on, you can do this or not. And with some patients, we found in our research, when they do double up on the doses, then they have a higher rate of side effects and more symptoms. So if this happens, you need to notify your doctor. So that's taking too much medication. And then there's also taking too little medication, which is taking less than prescribed missing or skipping doses, or not filling an initial prescription, or failing to get a prescription refilled. And then another um, problem might be just simply not following instructions. If you do not understand when to start or stop your medication, and you need to ask your nurse or doctor exactly what the instructions are. And a big problem is people not renewing their prescription. So they just stop taking the medication. But before you do that, you need to call your nurse or doctor to discuss the situation with them. So next I'm going to provide some helpful tips on how to continue to take the oral cancer medication as recommended. So the first thing is read the label to make sure you are taking the correct medication at the correct dose, at the correct time, and on the correct number of days. Know if you have any type of rest days where you do not take the medication. It's helpful if you keep all your medication information together in one place, such as a medication logger diary with the drug name, dose, and the reason for taking, the prescribing doctor, and the pharmacy name and phone number. It's also helpful to use weekly or monthly medication containers to organize your pills. And then keeping a calendar or chart to track when you are able to take your, when you take your medication is also very helpful, especially if you take that to your doctor's appointment with you. And having a daily reminder to take your medication is highly recommended. So consider using an electronic adherence tool such as a cell phone alarm or a smartphone app. 
Place your medications in a convenient location so that you see them when it's time to take them. And then identify medication taking cues, such as taking your medication after you brush your teeth or after eating breakfast every day. And then try to take your medication at the same time every day. You need to plan ahead for social events so that you have your medication with you if you're not at home and make an action plan for unexpected events such as getting caught in traffic to make sure you have your medication with you. And know how your medication interacts with food, fluids, and other medications. And use the same pharmacy because they will maintain a current medical profile for you and check for potential drug-to-drug -drug interactions. You may also need to plan ahead during travel. And here are some tips. Pack an Pack extra medication. Carry all your medical information, such as the nurse or doctor contact information, insurance card, and medication information. And when flying, pack the medication in your carry-on luggage. This way, you'll have access to them during your flight, and you'll have all your medications if your baggage gets lost. Take a complete list of your medications, prescribe dose and schedule, and notify your pharmacy if there is a possibility that your prescription may run out while you're traveling. Adjust your medication reminder system if your daily schedule will change while traveling. And if you do leave your medications at home, call your nurse or doctor. They may be able to contact a pharmacy near you. And sharing the responsibility for your medication with nurses and doctors and family members is important. They can help provide you with information about your treatment, so do not be afraid to ask and talk about your concerns. You may want to write down questions to ask at your next visit. If you want help from family or friends, tell them what you do and do not want them to do in regard to the help, and this will make the expectations clear. Your family members should know which side effects are severe and when a doctor or nurse needs to be contacted, how to manage the side effects, and if the medication includes rest periods. Hopefully, some of this information or tips will be helpful in managing taking the oral cancer medication at home. Thank you so much. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Spolster, for just really a very comprehensive presentation, really giving lots of tips to people um, about um, adherence. So thank you so much. I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A as well. Thank you. And our next uh, speaker is, uh, is Carolyn Blasdell. And Carolyn is a nurse practitioner, Knight Cancer Institute, Oregon Health and Science University. And um, she will be addressing a number of issues, including developing a shared treatments calendar and adherence toolkit, challenges in communicating with, health, with your loved one, living with CML and the healthcare team, and ad adherence planning ahead for special occasions, birthdays, travel, and holidays. It's really my pleasure now to turn the program over to Ms. Blasdell. Hello. Thank you for listening today. I'm happy to be here. I've worked with patients on oral CML drugs for almost 15 years now, and I'm going to talk about some more practical tools specific to CML that can make it easier for your loved one to take their medication successfully. Uh, you'll see that uh, my, I have some similar suggestions to what Sandra said, but also some different ones. Then I'll go over some suggestions for communicating with both your loved one and with healthcare providers about adherence. First, effective treatment for CML requires a team approach by the patient, oncologist, other healthcare providers, and caregivers. 
CML affects the whole family, not just the patient. So how can a caregiver help with adherence? We know that patients who take their medications as prescribed have better outcomes in treating their CML. One of the most important things shown in research and what my patients say helps them to take their medication consistently is to take the medication at about the same time every day and tie it to some specific activity in your usual daily routine. For example, take your meds when you first get up and brush your teeth. Or for meds taken with food, take it after a specific meal. Others take it at bedtime when they brush their teeth. Different meds need to be taken in different ways. The important thing is to try to connect taking it to something that you do habitually in your daily routine. That way you don't forget. Visual reminders are very helpful. It's particularly useful to set up pills in a weekly pill container. That way both the caregiver and the patient can see if the medication has been taken or not. It may work best if you get a clear pill container so it's easy to tell if the medication is taken for the day. It may be helpful for the caregiver to set up the pill container for the loved one or perhaps remind the person to do it weekly if they prefer to do it themselves. Many patients are on multiple meds and color-coded containers and containers with sections for different times of the day are available. If you live in a hot, humid climate, you need an airtight container as high humidity can cause some CML meds to deteriorate. Electronic containers with alarms or voice reminders are now available. To see examples, just type in pill reminders in your favorite search engine, and you will find dozens of choices. Then click on images, and you can see photos of them all. It's a good way to get ideas as to what might work best for you. If you're not into electronics, plain paper calendars are a great tool. Keep it near where you take your pills. Then mark off on the calendar that the dose was taken. The calendar can also be used as a place to write down when to order your next refill and for reminders about any event or problem you want to discuss with your doctor. If your cell phone is always with you, their medication reminder apps and its alarm can be a very effective reminder tool. Both patient and caregiver can set up a reminder, especially if traveling. So if one doesn't hear it, the other is a backup. Most patients have told me that it's helpful for the caregiver to check to see if they've taken their medication daily and remind them if they have not. This can help the person feel cared for and supported. However, how you do this is important. If your loved one has forgotten or not taken their medication, avoid criticism, judgment, or blame. This just tends to make patients even less likely to take their meds. Instead of nagging, Try positive reinforcement of the things that are going well. Then help your loved one to problem solve. Tweak your system. Two heads are better than one in figuring out a better system for taking the medication that suits your lifestyle. If a drug requires fasting, be helpful and flexible in adjusting the meal schedule. If your loved one needs a certain kind of food to take with medication to avoid an upset stomach, it is obviously important for the cook and shopper to be sure this is available. Plan ahead to have the right, right food available at the right time. When traveling, you may need to take special care.
to have appropriate snacks available on the journey. If side effects are the issue, help your loved one call the phone advice nurse at your doctor's office to get help with this. Another area where the caregiver can be very helpful is in getting refills ordered and picked up or delivered on time. If a medication requires prior authorization, and that happens with a new prescription, be aware that there can be an additional several days delay in getting it. So if you know your loved one's prescription is expiring, be sure to put on your calendar that you need to reorder it early. If you notice that your loved one's not taking medication consistently, try to sit down and talk about it. If there are medications for something like nausea that need to be taken ahead, remind the person to take it at the right time for maximum effectiveness. Sometimes taking medication for CML every day is hard because it reminds a person that they have CML. Be patient and listen to the person's fears and frustrations if they want to talk. People with cancer may feel lonely, isolated, and that no one understands their fears. Just listening with a warm, empathic attitude can go a long way in helping someone feel better. If missing doses is due to forgetting because of a busy lifestyle, try to set up a backup system. For example, keep an extra dose at your workplace or in your purse or pocket or on your keychain in special small containers made for this. Traveling requires special preparation. Carry your medication in the original labeled container, but keep a small emergency supply in a separate place. Never check your medication in your luggage. Keep it with you. If going on an extended trip or overseas, it's good to have a copy of the prescription with you. CML can be quite stressful to family life. Family support has been identified in research as an important component of adherence. Holidays disrupt your usual routine and require advanced planning to have the right food or fasting schedule for taking medication. It's easy to forget to take your dose then, so this is an especially important time to figure out ahead of time when you can most easily take your medication and set an alarm or reminder. If you're having communication problems that seem to be unsolvable, try to talk with the social worker at your cancer center. Or you can consider seeing a counselor who can help you improve your communication as a couple. Try to understand your loved one's point of view, especially if you're feeling frustrated. People are very different. Some people do not want to think about their diagnosis much at all and want the caregiver to be the one who is well informed about the disease. But other patients find that in learning about CML, it can be really helpful to have a study partner. For doctor visits, make a list of concerns and questions and take this to the appointment. That way, you won't forget something important. Don't minimize symptoms, as your doctor can help your loved one only if he or she knows about the problem. Since it can be overwhelming to try to remember everything that's said during a doctor visit, it's often useful if the caregiver takes good notes. Some people record the visits so they can be listened to later. Ask your most pressing questions first. Try to stay on track during the doctor visits and focus on what's most important to you. If you do not understand what your doctor or nurse is saying, ask them to clarify. It's possible that your time with your oncologist is very limited. If you still need help, asked to speak with the oncology nurse. Another great resource is your pharmacist. 
Even if you're required to get your medication via mail order, you can ask to speak to a pharmacist about any questions or concerns. Remember, you're not alone, and there are a variety of people out there who can help you succeed in adherence. Ask them for help when you need it. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, Ms. Blastoff. That was really wonderful. And I actually want to remind everyone that these programs are recorded because Ms. Blastoff mentioned how you can bring a recording device sometimes to your doctor's office when you have an appointment. You just have to ask your permission to use that. These programs are recorded. Our operator mentioned that up front. That means that actually if any of you would like to listen to this, really this information is really chock full of information this call today and all sorts of tips. And um, I would say that even if you took copious notes, um, please feel free also to listen to the recording of these programs. They actually go up, they're on for at least a year, if not longer, and they're 24 hours a day, um, both on the telephone and online. So please don't, do take advantage of that because it's a, it's a, I'm listening to each of your presentations. They're just so chock full of information. So um, just an amazing call today. And I want to introduce our next speaker um, is Glenn Muche. And Glenn is an oncology social worker at Cancer Care. He's oncology social worker coordinator at Cancer Care. And uh, Mr. Muche is going to address a number of issues um, uh, that are of concern to all of you. And um, he is going to address coping each day, um, self-care tips for managing the stress of caregiving, and he's also going to identify the fee psychosocial support services that Cancer Care offers. It's my pleasure now to turn the program over to Mr. Muche. Thank you, Carolyn. And I would also like to thank everyone who participated in today's Cancer Care Connect Education Workshop. Um, in closing, I would like to briefly address the caregiver experience and the services that Cancer Care offers. Um, if you are helping to care for a loved one with cancer, you are a caregiver. You may not think of yourself as a caregiver, however. You may instead see what you are doing as something natural, taking care of someone you love. Still, for many individuals, caregiving is not an easy task and may present an array of challenges. Caregivers provide important and continuous emotional and physical care for a person with cancer. Caregivers can be family members or they can be friends. They may reside nearby or live far away from the person they care for. There are many different ways in which one can be a caregiver, and the kind of support a caregiver affords a loved one will be unique to each person. Caregiving can mean assisting your loved one with daily activities. It could entail helping your loved one get to the doctor. Caregiving could also demand helping our loved one cope with a variety of emotions that may emerge during this period. Taking care of a loved one can be a positive experience. Uh, for instance, uh, caregivers have sometimes shared with me uh, that caregiving has strengthened their relationship with their loved one. Simultaneously, though, the caregiver experience can be exceedingly stressful and feel overwhelming at times as well. Caregivers frequently mention that it can feel like a full-time job. All too often, caregivers spend less time focusing on their own needs and taking care of their own well-being physically, emotionally, and spiritually. The caregiver experience can be even more challenging if you have many other responsibilities coinciding, such as employment, raising children, or even caring for your own health. I would like to offer a few tips 
that may help you cope with the caregiver experience and are a first step in staying healthy during this time. I would like to preface this, though, by saying the caregiver experience works best and is most effective were understood within the framework and context of teamwork. Planning ahead, setting up a team of caregivers, and learning to delegate roles and responsibilities to others on the team can help you cope with the many challenges of caregiving. In terms of staying physically healthy, it is important to stay active. Uh, now, staying active does not necessarily mean that you have to go to the gym every day. Um, or that you have to run a marathon. It could be simply taking a walk around the block, taking a bike ride, um, simply, you know, doing light jogging. Um, it could simply also mean if there's no time for that even, um, if there are stairs uh, in the hospital and you're able, take the stairs instead of the elevator. Uh, so there are many things you can do uh, every day that can afford you exercise. Um, pay attention to what you're eating. Now, the caregiver experience uh, demands a lot of our time, and the last thing, last thing we often think about is, you know, what we're eating. We're quickly biting, uh, buying snacks and, and fast food. Uh, but a balanced diet is very important for taking care of yourself. And a lot of these fast food restaurants nowadays do have salad buffets. And, you know, they are catering to people who are on the run and who are health conscious about their diet. Uh, snacks can be very helpful, particularly, you know, if you're going to be in the doctor's office or in the hospital uh, all day, for instance. Uh, get enough sleep. Uh, caregiving can be emotionally and physically draining. Uh, so try to get sleep. Give yourself permission to take power naps. Uh, you know, 15 minutes, 20 minutes can go a long way. Rest regularly. Uh, and sometimes, you know, we may have to make a concerted effort to rest regularly. We may have to allot a period of time, whether it's five minutes, 15 minutes, or 30 minutes. You know, we may have to set aside a period of time where we say, okay, this is my uh, rest time. This is my space where I'm just going to do what I need to do. Deep breathing, meditating, yoga, general, uh, gentle stretching can help reduce stress. And also, too, um, your health is valuable. Um, very often in working with caregivers, I find that the last thing they often think about is their own health. But it is really, really important that you keep abreast of your own health. You know, be sure to follow up with checkups, your checkups, screenings, your screenings, and medications, your medications. Providing care to a loved one can evoke a variety of emotions in us, such as guilt, anger, sadness, worry, and as I indicated, feeling overwhelmed. Staying healthy emotionally, therefore, is essential in order to help mitigate the risk of stress and caregiver burnout. I'd like to just provide a few tips that may help you, your emotional well-being during this time. Take a break. Again, you know, just take that, find that special time, five minutes, 15 minutes, whatever it is. Take a break. Get away from it for a little bit. Be aware of your limits. Sometimes the caregiver experience and what we are able to do is a learning process. 
leaving room for adjustments pertaining to what you can do and what you are not able to do. Uh, we learn as we go along. So you want to just, you know, allow yourself the flexibility to learn as you go along and to make adjustments when necessary. And it's especially important to exercise caution in terms of setting expectations on yourself as a caregiver. Be realistic. Remember that there are only so many hours in a day. Feel free to say no. When people ask you to take on tax, you don't have the time or energy to complete. Or perhaps consider hiring a person to lift some of the burden of caregiving. Uh, financial assistance is available at Cancer Care, and Cancer Care can help reduce the expenses associated with home care, uh, in addition to transportation, child care, and in some instances for, you know, medications. Um, also, too, a Cancer Care social worker can direct you to other resources in the community that may offer financial assistance uh, related to, you know, home care services. Keeping a journal uh, can be helpful to us emotionally. You know, writing down our thoughts, our feelings, you know, writing down what transpired during the day. Um, reaching out to family and friends, uh, you know, people who understand, you know, what we are going through and are empathic to our feelings and experiences can help us cope. Um, also, too, there's a spiritual component, and, you know, developing our spiritual side may help us cope. And that does not necessarily, you know, be mean becoming religious. Uh, spiritually, spirituality can be found in nature. Take a walk around the block or just go to a space, you know, that's soothing to your soul and that affords you some comfort. Talking to a helping professional about your feelings and worries uh, can help you cope uh, with the caregiver experience. Uh, speaking to an oncology social worker uh, can validate, uh, can help you validate your feelings and normalize your experience. And I just want to mention that Cancer Care offers free individual counseling and support by professional oncology social workers who can walk with you as you traverse this landscape and provide a listening ear. Uh, we offer individual counseling and support either on the telephone or face-to-face. -face. And by doing this or engaging in this, it can help you process your experience and whatever feelings uh, you may be experiencing at this time. Uh, through individual counseling and support, you will ensure your continued capacity to cope and may perhaps even learn new strategies in coping to help you adjust to, adjust to the many twists and turns of the cancer and caregiver experience. And join a support group for caregivers. Uh, talking with other caregivers can help you feel less alone. Uh, the social interaction offered by caregiver support groups can help diminish feelings of isolation and strengthen our ability to cope. Uh, cancer Care offers online telephone and face-to-face -face support groups where you can receive emotional support, insight, and camaraderie. Uh, these groups are open to patients, family members and friends, and as I mentioned, caregivers, survivors, and the bereaved. And last, but hardly least, and perhaps even most important, is go easy on yourself. Nurture your soul. Sometimes you may feel 
you could have done something differently or that you could have done something better. Try not to be hard on yourself. Focus on all the positive things that you are doing for your loved one. And I want to thank you, Carolyn, and everyone for taking the time out and listening to me. Well, I want to thank you very much, Glenn. That was really just such a wonderful presentation and so caring to everybody on the call today who are living with a lot of stress in their lives, and you've given a lot of just wonderful suggestions, and so thank you. And, and I have to say that, again, um, I, I can't encourage you enough to listen to these programs again because the voices of our speakers, what they say is can be so very helpful to all of you on a regular basis. Um, now, I do um, uh, want to, we have a little bit of time for questions. I'm going to ask uh, Stephanie to explain to you how to queue up for questions, and let's see if we can take a few questions. Stephanie? Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to ask a question, please press the star key followed by the number one key on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. Again, to ask a question, please press star then 1 on your touchtone telephone. We do have a, a question from one of our um, online uh, uh, participants, actually from Sarah. Uh, sometimes my father, who was recently diagnosed with CML, does not want to receive help with adherence and, and keep his independence. How can I help without offending or upsetting him? So this is a, I think this is a question you could put a different family member in, but it's a question that probably many of you are confronting. Um, I'm wondering, Glenn, if you could start with that one. Um, first, you know, that's a really good question and also something that's, you know, difficult uh, to answer but also difficult to be the caregiver. Um, what I suggest that sometimes people do is, uh, you know, come in through the back door, uh, so to speak. Um, you know, we can't obviously force anyone to do something that they're, they're not ready to do or not feeling up to do. Um, and, you know, we don't necessarily want to beat someone over the head and say, you know, you have to do, you have to do it. And what I've learned and what I witnessed is that, you know, sometimes we just have to allow the space. Uh, for the person to uh, talk about what it is like for them uh, to be living with this cancer, what, it, what it's like for them to um, have to be told, you know, they need to take this medication, and if they don't, you know, this will happen and that will happen. Because uh, very often there's a lot of loss of control and a loss of autonomy and dependence with the cancer experience. Uh, so sometimes in addressing adherence um, and, and opening the door to better adherence, uh, to medication regime, it sometimes can be helpful first to kind of check in with the person and allow them the space to talk about what this experience is like for them. Excellent. Thank you. And we have one other online question. Um, my sister was just diagnosed with CML. Will she be able to work, exercise, and perform her usual activities? Dr. Gottlieb, could you address that question? Yes, absolutely. Um, what I would say is that when we have patients that are newly diagnosed with CML, you know, they may present with fatigue, they may have night sweats, they may have abdominal discomfort because certainly some patients present with a, a big spleen in their belly. Um, and so these are symptoms that can really affect the quality of life of individuals. And so, you know, of course, after their doctor visit explaining what is tell regarding treatment, um, you know, I suspect that, you know, the overwhelming majority of patients, if they start on one of the drugs that I talked about, whether it be imatinib or desatinib 
ornolatinib, and as long as a patient is tolerating therapy, and again, these drugs are generally well tolerated, you know, we see symptom improvement within a short period of time. And so the expectation is that in the vast majority of patients, that literally over several weeks to a month, uh, they will start feeling better because the drugs are killing the CML cells. Their symptoms generally uh, improve their spleen start to shrink. And again, it is up to the doctor working with the patient and the caregiver to make sure that the drug is being taken the right way to avoid toxicity and to make sure the dose is, that they're taking is correct and that there are no major lab abnormalities. And if all those issues align, then again, I think that the patient's quality of life can improve, improve in a reasonably rapid fashion and that the expectation would be that if they wanted to go to work, they can do so. And things like exercise, engaging family members, and doing other activities is something also that they should take full advantage of whenever they can. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. And I want to thank all of our speakers. You've been phenomenal, just an amazing group of experts to present on, on this topic today. And also I want to thank all of you who are listening and those of you who asked questions online. Um, I want to remind you that this is a one-hour workshop and that in planning a program like this, we know that you have many needs that go far beyond the scope of a program like this. I do want to remind you that Cancer has many oncology social workers. We're here to help you. And we're simply a phone call away. You can call us at 1-800-813-4673 or visit our website at www.cancercare.org. Most importantly, as we are about to conclude, please know that you're not alone, that you're now part of this community of support, and really do take advantage of these free services. I want to thank you all for participating today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for your participation. This concludes the workshop. You may now disconnect and have a wonderful day. Thank you.